Chapter Eleven of Mrs. Balfame by Gertrude Horn Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Eleven. To Dr. Anna alone, Mrs. Balfame told the story of the night, although implicit as was her trust, with certain reservations. She omitted the detail of the poisoned lemonade, but otherwise unburdened herself with freedom and relief. "'Before I knew where I was,' she concluded, "'there was the kitchen door closed behind me. "'I can't understand why I lost my presence of mind. "'I could easily have run through the back door and out the front "'and reached him about the time Giffning did.' "'Dr. Anna was drinking strong coffee. "'It was eight o'clock, and she had gone downstairs "'and made breakfast for her friend and herself, "'Frida having retired to her room and bolted the door.' The doctor had heard the whole story as soon as she arrived, but after an interval of sleep had asked for it again. "'I think it's better as it is,' she said thoughtfully. "'No one could have seen you. The moon rose late. The night at that time must have been pitch dark. The trees alone would have shielded you, even had anyone been watching. Suspicion would never fall on you, anyhow. You are too far above it, and Dave had been insulting people right and left the last year. But you want to avoid blackmail. The only thing that disturbs me is that that girl may have been on the back stairs when you came in. I'll come in for lunch and talk to her then. You keep to your room. Rest and sleep if you can. I don't fancy you'll have early visitors. Everybody will sleep late. I wish I could. Will you stop in and see Dr. Lecure by yourself? If I can find a minute, don't worry about me. I'm tough, and the Lord knows I ought to be immune. But she found no time to see a doctor in her own behalf, and returned to the Balfame house between twelve and one. Reporters were sitting on the box hedge and on the doorstep. She evaded them good-naturedly, but it was some time before she was admitted by the rebellious Frieda, who had been summoned to the front door some sixteen times during the forenoon. When Dr. Anna finally found herself in the dark hall, she saw that Frieda's face was swollen and tied up in a towel. The spectacle gave the doctor an instant opportunity. "'The worst infliction on earth, bar none,' she announced, following the maid into the kitchen. "'Let me take a look at it. How long have you had it?' Two days,' replied Frieda sullenly unamenable to sympathy which offered no immediate surcease of pain abscess don't know frida's mental processes were slow before she could follow the doctors the bandage was ripped off and a sharp eye was examining the inflamed interior of her cavernous mouth a moment later dr anna had opened her doctor's bag and was anointing the surroundings of the tortured tooth with a brown liquid that won't cure it she said but no dentist could do more until the swelling is reduced, and it will save you a preliminary bill. Keep this. As soon as you feel you can stand it, go to Dr. Myers, Main Street. Tell him I sent you. But why didn't you tell Mrs. Balfame last night? Why endure pain? Kind mistresses always keep such alleviatives in the house, and Mrs. Balfame is not the sort to mind being roused in the middle of the night if someone was suffering. 
the pain had subsided under treatment and frida was restored to such civility as she knew it only got bad when i'm dancing to the hall and i ran home i had some drops in my room oh i see did they stop the pain nix ache like before but i lie down and perhaps can sleep if those men had not made me come downstairs to make the coffee all night i am up and she glowered with self-pity and when you found that your drops were no good why didn't you run at once to mrs balfame you were braver than i should have been it was about eight o'clock was it not when mr balfame was shot mrs balfame was probably awake when you came in even if she had gone to bed or perhaps you didn't know that she came home early on saturday night she come home after i do how i am to know she is here but you might have gone to her medicine closet in her bathroom when you have the pain like hot iron you think of all the good things for it the next day frida relapsed into sullen silence dr anna hastily disposed of the lunch prepared for her and went upstairs mrs balfame was lying on the sofa she had not dressed but looked as trim as usual in a blue and white bathrobe never having been a woman to let herself go she did not possess a wrapper her long hair hung in two loose braids and she looked very pale and lovely put frida out of your head said dr anna hurriedly familiar voices ascended from the path below she heard nothing you don't when you have a jumping toothache thank heaven a soft knock announced several of her friends they were dressed for motoring this being sunday not even death must interfere with the cross-country refreshment of the elsinore husband they kissed mrs balfame and congratulated her upon her appearance and her nerves but one thing must be settled right here announced mrs gifning and that is the question of your morning i'll go over on the eight ten in the morning and see to it but you never wear ready-made things and it would be a pity to waste money that way are you going to wear a veil at the inquest of course i am do you suppose i shall submit to being stared at by a curious mob and snapshotted by reporters that's just what i thought i'll bring back a smart hat and a long crape veil with me and order your widow's outfit from one of the big shops they'll have it over in time for the funeral and you can wear your tailor suit to the inquest it will be half covered by the veil what a good idea said mrs balfame gratefully you are too kind kind nothing i just love to shop for other people how lucky that you hadn't bought your new winter suit it might have been blue it was to have been blue there was a note of regret in mrs balfame's voice don't forget to buy me two black chiffon blouses one very simple for every day the other really good and something white for the neck of course i couldn't wear it on the street but in the house black is too trying rather trust me have you black gloves undressed kid i mean you don't want to look like an undertaker mrs balfame nodded that's all i think send me a line if you think of something else i must run and take giffy for his ride he's all broken up poor darling wasn't he just splendid last night she blew a kiss along the widow's forehead and ran out with a light step that caused her more substantial friends to sigh with envy she too was in the manoeuvring forties but she had gone into training at thirty
I guess we'd all better go. Mrs. Battle, with a sudden dexterous heave of her armoured bulk, was out of the chair and on her feet. Now try to sleep, dearie. You are just the bravest thing. But tomorrow will be trying. Sam Cummack says the coroner won't hold the inquest before afternoon. But if they do, and your veil isn't here, I've got one of Mars packed away in camphor that I'll get out for you. I'll get it out tonight and have it airing. We won't take any chances, and you shan't be annoyed by the vulgar curious. Oh, thank you. And that is not the only ordeal. It's even more trying to stay in the house all these days. In this room. If I could walk in the grounds. But I suppose those reporters are everywhere. They are swarming, simply swarming. And the avenue is so packed with automobiles you can't navigate. People have come from all over the country, some from New York and Brooklyn. Mrs. Balfame curled her lip with disgust. Morbid curiosity, like other vulgarities, was incomprehensible to her. Death, no matter how desired or how accomplished, should inspire hush and respect, not provide excitement for a Sunday afternoon. Let us hope they will find the wretch today, she said impatiently. That will end it, for of course it is the element of mystery that has made the case so notorious. Is there no clue? Not the ghost of one. Mrs. Cummock, too, was adjusting her automobile veil. Sam's on the job. I'm only taking him out for an hour or two, and so, of course, are the police. Hot. But he's covered his tracks so far. If it is a he, whispered Mrs. Battle to Mrs. Frew, as they stole softly down the stairs. What about that redhead, or that telephone girl who fainted? They say she had to go home. Can you imagine caring enough for Dave Balfame? Let's get out of this, for heaven's sake, or I'll faint right here. The atmosphere was as depressing as the dark interior of the house, for it was heavy laden with the scent of flowers and death. The parlour doors, behind which lay Dave Balfame, embalmed and serene in his casket, were close. But hushed whisperings came forth like the rustling of funeral wreaths disturbed by the vapours of decay, the devoted friends of the widow burst out into the sunshine, almost with a cry of relief. Here all was as animated as a county fair. The grounds were void, save by patrolling police, but the avenue and adjoining streets were packed with every type of car, from limousine to farmer's runabout, and many more people were afoot, staring at the house, venturing as near the hedge as they dared, to inspect the grove. They asked questions, answered them, offered theories all in a breath and without the slightest respect for any opinion save their own a few children sucking peppermint sticks sat on the hedge did you ever murmured mrs frew to mrs battle did you ever she shuddered with refined disgust but felt thrilled to her marrow just enid's luck was her auxiliary but silent reflection End of chapter 11